Hey, and welcome to the Scott's Hope Podcast. We are currently in a series called Moving Forward, where Pastor Phil is preaching on the vision for our church. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning and welcome to Scott's Hill. Those of you who are watching us online, we're so glad that you're joining us as well as you've invited us into your home. And I just want to say congratulations to all of you. You made it at the 915 service. Wow. Some of you didn't show up at 15, 20 minutes later. This is our first Sunday of this great adjustment. We got a great crowd in here. And those of you who are at home, we trust that you've been able to begin at the 915. We want to invite you to come and join us here on campus whenever you get the opportunity. We'd love to fellowship with you and to be with you as well. Thank you for joining us. We have been in a series called Moving Forward. And just kind of to recap, maybe for those of you who may be first or second time guests, my name is Phil Ortigo. I serve as a senior pastor here. We have been looking, as our elders had looked past COVID, what do we need to do? How do we move forward as we continue to grow where God is leading us in the days ahead? We felt like we needed to just recalibrate during this time, and we've been looking at what our vision is. Our vision is to join God in his work of transforming lives. We've asked you to memorize that, to to learn it, and to live that vision. Everything's about God transforming us, and the transformative work of Christ never stops until we are in his presence in eternity. And so we continue to move through that. The other thing we saw is not only do we have a vision, but we have certain values that we live by. And we've been looking at these seven core values that drive us as a church. And these seven core values are really nothing more than spiritual disciplines in our life. We've talked about worship. We've talked about service. We've talked about studying God's word. We've talked about discipleship. We've talked about um, the importance of um, fellowshipping together corporately and then having that worship time individually. But today we want to talk about another core value that is a very important spiritual discipline in the life of every believer. And this spiritual discipline is not something that's unique to Christianity only. In fact, every religious group in the world practiced this. Every irreligious group in the world sometimes practices this. And we find that people who may even be agnostic find themselves in certain difficult situations, and they even practice this. But there's a unique difference in the way believers practice it and unbelievers practice it, and just people who are spiritually minded practice it. And what we're talking about today is the core value that we seek God in prayer. We seek God in prayer. Now, if we're going to be honest, this is one of the most exciting, most uh, exhilarating, and one of the most incredibly frustrating disciplines we can ever seek to develop in our lives. Because every one of us would say, yes, prayer is vitally important, Yes, it is very important that we develop this lifestyle of praying, but it's one of the most difficult things to do. Prayer is hard work. Prayer means I must submit myself to someone who is greater than I am and who has the capability of doing what I cannot do. Prayer is something that we can all admit that we struggle with. We struggle with it individually. We struggle with it as couples praying together. We struggle with it giving our time to it. Yet, we know it's important and all of us do it. How important is prayer? It is vastly important even in America. 
If you look at George Barna, he recently came out with some statistics, I'm getting it out there, some stats. And when he gets these stats out there, one of the things that he points out is, first of all, who prays? Who are the people who praise? Here's what he discovered. 82% of adults and 89% of teenagers pray in a normal week. Teenagers pray more than adults, probably because of the adults that they're living with. So 88% of women and 75% of men pray in a typical week. Then we find people living in the South and the Midwest pray more than those living in the West and the Northeast, 86 and 76% respectively. 96% of born-again Christians pray weekly, while 72% of people not describing themselves as born-again pray on a weekly basis. So we find that people pray. Now, what do they pray about? Here's what he's discovered. 95% of adults thank God for what he has done in their lives. I found that was interesting. Most of them spend time thanking God for his work. 76% ask for forgiveness of specific sins. We're living in a culture today where nobody wants to call anything sin anymore, so this is really a good sign. 67% spend time in prayer worshiping God by praising his superior attributes. 61% ask for help for specific needs. And 47% are silent during prayer to listen to God. It's like the little boy and his dad went to a restaurant. The dad said, well, let's have a silent prayer. And they both bowed their heads. The father finished, and the little boy kept praying, kept praying, kept praying, kept praying. Finally, the father kind of, the little boy looked up. He said, well, son, that sure was a long prayer. What were you praying about? He said, how do I know? It was silent. I have no idea. (laughs) But here's what we discovered, too. That when it comes to prayer, the average prayer lasts less than five minutes. Think about that. The average prayer lasts less than five minutes. And we don't know what those prayers may consist of, but it's clear to see that among our people and even within the church, this discipline of prayer is a hard thing. It's a difficult thing. Why is it so difficult? Because the blessings are so great. When we look at prayer in scripture, you find 375 references to prayer in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. And then when you look in the Old Testament, you find that the prophets often prayed and they often called out to God. But you find in the Psalms that David just poured his heart out. It was gut-wrenching prayers. Some of those prayers were just anguished prayers. Some of those prayers were imprecatory prayers where he was calling down God's wrath on people. I mean, he prayed with his honesty and gut-wrenchingly open emotions. But then when you get to the New Testament... We find more instruction about prayer than anywhere else in the scriptures. And the one person who spoke more about prayer and who modeled prayer and who instructed us on how to pray and when to pray is the Lord Jesus himself. Now, the Lord Jesus is the son of God. He's the second person in the Trinity. He's co-equal with the Father. He is God. And yet when he was here, he modeled beautifully intimate prayer. Every morning he would find a desolate place and he would pray and commune with the Father. We find in, in, in chapter 6 of Matthew that he teaches us how we are to pray. We find in John chapter 17 what's called the high priestly prayer. And when we look at the life of Jesus, nobody 
practiced prayer, modeled prayer, and instructed us how to pray than he himself. And so it's only right for us to go and say, what does Jesus have to say to us today about prayer? So if you have your Bibles, open to Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 7. It's a very popular verse, but in this verse, what we're going to do is actually verses 7 through 11, what we're going to discover are six important principles that Jesus teaches us about why we should pray. Now, we can talk about how to pray. We could talk about, okay, what are the roadblocks that keep us from praying? We could talk about, okay, what are the things we should pray for and not pray for? But we got to start at the beginning is, why should we pray? And when we look at what Jesus has to say about why we should pray, then you will understand the heartbeat of prayer. And you will understand these are the things that we can do that Jesus instructs us and how to be better at praying. So let's pray together as we begin. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's inerrant, it's inspired, it's authoritative for our life and our practice. Thank you, Father, that we can trust your word. And today we ask your Holy Spirit to speak to us, coupled with your word, that you would bring transformation, that you would bring encouragement, that you would bring conviction. Father, that you would change us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So Jesus is on the Sermon on the Mount. He's preaching one of the greatest sermons that we find in the scriptures. We see this in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And then he's in chapter 7. He's been talking about prayer in Matthew chapter 6. But now he gives us some reasons why we need to pray. And here's how he begins. In verse 7, he says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be open. Or which of you, one of you, if he has a son, and he asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him. In this passage, as we unpack it, there are six things I want to show you this morning. And these six things are the reasons we should pray. So here's what I want us to understand. From the heart of the Lord Jesus to his followers today, he's saying, here's why you should pray. Here's the first one. I should pray because it's a command. I should pray because it's a command. Now, it's a very basic beginning point for us. The Lord Jesus commands us to pray. It's very interesting. He says, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Each of these words, ask, seek, and knock, are in the imperative voice, which means it's a command. So if you wanted to put it in the sense that Jesus is saying, he's saying, you ask, you seek and you knock. And for every child of God, every person who names Christ as Lord and Savior, we are commanded to turn our attention and to ask the Father to seek his will and to knock on the door of heaven when it comes to requests and supplications and all aspects of praying. 
Now, why is it a command? Is it that God is so egocentric that he wants everyone to just simply recognize that he is the ultimate of creation? Yeah, that is true. But the heart of God is a father. He is a father. And as a father, here's what he wants us to understand. He wants us to understand that he is our creator. He's the giver of life. He is the sustainer of life. He's the provider of life. He's the provider of all things. He's our redeemer. He's our savior. He's our deliverer. He has everything that we need for life and for godliness. And he gives that to us, according to 1 Peter. Now, here's the thing that we need to understand. Because of this, the heart of the Father is he has all the resources for us. And his desire is that his children would simply come to him and ask and seek and knock. Because when we do that, we learn something of his heart. And we learn something of our own heart. His command is for our good. Let me give you an illustration. Several years ago, my daughter Leslie, who's married and has two of the most perfect grandchildren in all the world, Hadley and Hudson Bow, well, they live in Atlanta, but when she was a little girl, she came to me one day, and I'm sitting in the chair, I'm reading in the living room, and she says, Daddy, I have a question for you, but I'm afraid to ask you. And I said, well, why are you afraid to ask? She says, I'm afraid what you might say. And I said, so you have a request for me. You know that you want this, but you're not quite sure how I'm going to respond. So you would rather just be quiet and discover my heart, what it is or what my heart is not. She said, what do you mean? I said, well, you've already made up your mind about this issue. Either you're going to think I'm going to act this way which may not be a reflection of my heart, or I'm going to act this way, which is a reflection of my heart that will tell you no about your request. I said, Leslie, the best thing for you to do is to ask me so you can know who I really am. And she said, okay. And she sits down in my lap. She says, daddy, I would like to do thus and so. And I looked at her and I said, thank you for asking, sweetie. The answer is no. I knew it. I knew it. And I said, well, if you knew it, why did you ask me? And if you were absolutely certain that that was going to be my answer, you never would have wanted me to know that. I said, but Leslie, here's what you know now. You can come to me and you can ask me anything you want. And what you will learn from me with every question is what is my heart and what I think is best for you. And I said, in the end, we both learn about each other, and we both win. And she ran off, not very happy. <laughs> but the reality is, many times we don't go to the Father, and you want to know why? I'm afraid of what he's going to say. If I ask him that, he'll tell me no. Well, if we know that, then why do we ask? And if we really know the heart of the Father, and if we want to know the heart of the Father, we go and press in on his heart to hear his delight and his desire for us. We're commanded to go. Here's the second reason. I should pray because it cultivates intimacy. Now, the command may seem like it's a little bit shallow and lacking any kind of devotion or love, 
But the second part is this. It cultivates intimacy between me and the heavenly father. I love the way Jesus says this. How much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? He uses the phrase father. Jesus was the one that taught us more about the heart of God being a father than anyone else in scripture. Jesus always referred to God as his father. The only time in any prayer where Jesus did not call him father was when he was on the cross. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's the only time. Every other time in scripture, he refers to him as father. Why? Because there's an intimacy there. And it's interesting, when Jesus speaks that in, in, in Matthew chapter 6 in the Lord's Prayer, pray this way, our father. The word father is an Aramaic. You know what it means? Daddy. The Jews in that day were blown away. Jesus just called God daddy? Listen, there's no more intimate term than daddy or mommy. And what is Jesus saying? Is that when you and I engage in prayer, we cultivate an intimacy with God. And the greatest thing that God wants from us is that we would come to him and that relationship, we'd be like a father and a daughter, a father and a son that's so intimate that we would have no problem calling him daddy. That's the intimacy of it. But here's the truth about our prayer life. Your prayer life is a reflection of your intimacy with the father. It always is. How we pray is always a reflection of our intimacy with the Father. I can listen to your prayers. You can listen to my prayers. And we can listen by the way we pray. We can determine how deep our relationship is with him. My wife and I, Chris, have been married for 35 years. We have a wonderful relationship. We're continuing to grow in our relationship with one another. We're always learning things about each other. And we want our marriage to be that kind of vibrancy. But what if my marriage looked like this? What would you say? That we've been married for 35 years. I get up in the morning. I make the coffee. I take my shower. I come downstairs. I bring her a cup of coffee up in bed, and I say, honey, thank you for marrying me. And that's all I say to her. Then I get dressed. I come to work. I work all day long. I go home at the end of the day, and she has supper prepared, and we sit down at the table, and I say, honey, Thank you for this meal that you have given to us. It is my desire that it would strengthen me that I might do the Lord's work. And then I don't say anything else. I sit down, I get on my device, I get on my phone, I get on my iPad, I get on my television, I watch football, I do something. Don't say a word. But when we get in bed together, I lean over to her and I say, honey, thank you. This has been a great day. And that's all I say. And I do that every day after day after day. You would say, that's a dysfunctional marriage. Or you might say, hey, that's my marriage. No, that's a dysfunctional marriage. Why? There's no intimacy. There's no communication. And when we think about that, we would say, that marriage could not possibly last 35 years. There can't be any joy in that marriage. There can't be any intimacy in that marriage. And you're right, there wouldn't be. And yet, here's what we do. We treat our relationship with God no different than that. We wake up in the morning, Lord, thank you for this day. We go through the course of our day and our work and we don't give thought about him. We come home and we sit down at a meal and we thank him for the meal. 
Then we go about our work for the rest of the evening. Then we lay our pillows on the head at, our heads on the pillows at night and we say, Lord, thank you for this day. And we start it all over again. And we might say, wow, what a great relationship. And the heart of the Father is saying, there's nothing more dysfunctional than that. And here's the heart. Listen, God wants intimacy with us. If you're a child of God, if you're a daughter of the king, if you're a son of God, he desires for you to be with him. And I will tell you this, that he desires us to be with him more than we desire to be with him. And he wants that intimacy to grow deep. It begins as I have communion with him. It begins when I meet with him and I listen to his heart and I seek what he has for me. And that intimacy grows deeper and deeper and deeper. I got to tell you, it's not always. I, there are times in my life where there's coldness, there's dryness. There are times where I don't really feel like in that cultivating that relationship. But as we press on and continue to do that, the intimacy with the Father grows deeper and deeper. I need to pray because it's a command. I need to pray because it cultivates that intimacy. But thirdly, I should pray because it expresses childlike faith. He says here, or which one of you, if his son asks for a bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? He has a two pictures here. He has a picture of a child and he has a picture of a father. And the picture of the child is just simply asking childlike things. If he asks for a piece of bread, he's suspecting that his father is going to give him a piece of bread. There's a very simple childlike faith there. I've asked my father for bread. My father loves me. He'll give me bread. Or I ask my father for a fish. He loves me. He'll give me a piece of fish. And the point is, Jesus is saying, if you're evil and you do those kinds of things, then I'm a holy, righteous, perfect, loving father. And if my children come to me with such simple faith and the kind of confidence that I am for them, there's a wonderful, wonderful picture of the simplicity of the heart of the father and the cries of his children. I was reading about a professor, Howard Hendricks from Dallas Theological Seminary. Years ago, he was a professor there. He said that he had um, this really intellectual lecturer come to the, the um, seminary to speak. Well, he was keeping them in his home. And this intellectual lecturer sat down at the table with them, and he was leading his children, Howard Hendricks, in a prayer before the meal. And all the children started praying different things. One little girl said, she said, thank you for the snacks that we had today. His little son said, yes, and thank you for the tricycle that I have. And the third child says, thank you for the fence in the backyard. And when they finished, this lecturer said, I'm appalled, Dr. Hendricks. You're a great man of God. You're a great seminary professor. You know the deep things of God. And this is how you teach your children to pray for tricycles and snacks and fences. And Howard Hendricks says, I noticed you've been driving that old Ford for many years. He said it was a jalopy. It was about to break down. He said, when you go on a trip, do you pray and ask God to hold it together? He said, absolutely. He said, when you go on a trip, do you thank God for the food that he's given to you? Yes. Do you thank God for the protection as you travel? Yes. He says, and then how is that any different than a child praying for a tricycle or a snack or a fence? Because the fence is keeping the dogs out from next door from attacking my kids. 
The snack is giving my children nourishment. The trike is giving them pleasure for the course of the day. And as they pray these things, they're praying with childlike faith. You know, that's how we are to pray. With a childlike faith as we come before the Father and we trust him and we know these things. Now, some of our prayers may be a little bit more complicated than simply a trike and snacks and a fence. But let me ask you a question. Those are simple things, but are there any complex things for God? They're none. And so the most complex things we can imagine, God can speak with a word. He spoke the universe and all of the galaxies and the stars with a word. There's nothing impossible for him. So when we pray, it's with the childlike faith and saying, Father, you own the heavens. There's nothing that is not within your control. There's nothing you cannot do. And I bring this to you with full, absolute confidence in your love, your affection, and your ability. Here's a fourth reason we should pray. I should pray because it's comprehensive. Now, what does that mean? Notice how Jesus uses the word everyone. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be open. He says everyone. Now there are two things in this thing we need to understand. There's one thing Jesus is not saying, and there's one thing he is saying. What Jesus is not saying is that prayer is just simply this universal opportunity for every person to be able to have access to God regardless of their spiritual condition. And we live in a culture where people are always saying, we're all God's children. That is not a biblically accurate truth. We are not all God's children. We're all God's creation, created in the image of God, but only those who have a relationship with Jesus Christ have a relationship with the Father, and they are forgiven, and they are adopted into the family of God. Only children of God consist of those who have surrendered their lives to faith in Christ. So he's not saying everyone who asks these questions, but he is saying this, everyone who is a child of God can know this, regardless of your age, regardless of your position, regardless of your status, you have access to the throne of heaven. You have access to Almighty God. You don't have to be a pastor. You don't have to be a teacher. You don't have to be some spiritual giant to be able to have access before the throne of God. Every single child of God has that. And we're called to walk in that manner. And as we pursue this, it means that you don't have to have a preacher pray for you. When I was in Graceville, Florida, I was pastoring my very first church. And, and when you, it was a little peanut community, peanut farmer community, all peanut farmers. The church was Bethel Baptist Church. It was in Graceville, Florida, and there were nothing but peanut farmers in the area. Well, peanut farmers depend on the weather. They depend on the growth of their peanuts for their livelihood. That first year that I moved there, there was a drought. And the peanut farmers were really upset about this. So they called me up, and they called me and said, Preacher, we need some rain. Now, just need to know this. If you're a pastor anywhere in the area, we all have the same name. It's Preacher. We're all Preacher. And they call me, Preacher, we need some rain. We need you to pray for some rain. And I thought, I'm about to be a hero or a zero right now. Okay? 
And so they said, we need some rain. I said, I'll tell you what, what do you want me to do? I want, we want you to pray for rain. I said, I will, but I'll pray with you. And here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna gather together on a Tuesday night. I want you to get all the peanut farmers in the area. Let's get them in the building and let's all together call out to God that he would send rain. And we did. Many met into that room. I, there was probably about 15 or 20 of them. Some I knew, some I didn't know. And we began to pray and they began to call out and call out and call out. And we prayed for about 45 minutes to an hour. Then when we finished, we all went our way. Well, the parson is right across the street from the church, so I didn't have far to go. I walked across the street. I got in there, and I told Chris how the meeting went. And then all of a sudden, you can hear thunder. And then you can hear lightning. And then it started raining. And, man, it rained. And it rained. Man, I was the hero of Graceville, Florida. That preacher called us together. He prayed. Man, it's raining. And it rained. 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 Then I get a call. Preacher, we got to stop this rain. We're going to lose our cry. I said, let's get together. So we got back together and we prayed. And before we started praying, I said, guys, next year, I want you to tell me how many inches you want. <laughs> but it's for everyone. It's not just for a select group of people. And here's what we do. A lot of times people will send me a note. Hey, can you pray for this? My response usually is, I will pray with you about this. Because it's not our responsibility as pastors to be the only ones who are going to bombard the doors of heaven. It's for every one of us. We're all called to be a part of this lifestyle of prayer. But here's a fifth one. I should pray because of confidence. I should pray because of confidence. Now this gives people a hard time when they read this. Because they misunderstand what Jesus is talking about. He says, for everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be open. Now, Jesus is speaking this, and it's a promise. And here's where we get this wrong. A lot of times we'll pray for something, and because we don't get what we prayed for, we say, oh, that's not true. That's not true. That can't be trusted. You see, Jesus said we are to get this and we're not getting it or we demand it in such a way that we come before the throne of God with this presumption and this arrogance, demanding that God would do what we said. I've had one person tell me that God is obligated to answer your prayers. Wow, it's pretty bold. What do you do with a verse like this? Well, here's the thing. Everyone who asks receives, and everyone who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be open. Here's our problem. Sometimes I want this, and I pray for it, and I don't receive it. Therefore, I say, well, God didn't hear me. Sometimes we're not praying for bread. We're praying for snakes. And God says, not going to give you a snake. Sometimes we're not praying for fish. We're praying for scorpions. And God says, I'm not going to give you a scorpion. Because no good father would do that. And every good father, every good parent would want to give to his sons or her sons and daughters good things. And that's what the father does. And here's what I want to tell you. God answers every single prayer. He does. Just not the way we want it answered. 
And you see, the whole thing many times, we think that praying is getting God in our way of thinking. God, I'm going to change your heart. God, I'm going to convince you of this. God, I want to move you to where you can give what I want. Now, does God delight to give good gifts to his kids? Yes. But prayer's not so much about me moving the heart of God as prayer is about changing my heart to move according to his. That's what prayer always does. So, so how do we pray with this? Let me just give you how God answers all the prayers. Here's what I said. If the request is wrong, God says no. If the timing is wrong, God says slow. If you are wrong, God says grow. And if the request is right and the timing is right and you are right, then God says go. Either way, your prayer is answered. If you're pouring out your heart to the Father for something and he knows that, that is not in your best interest and he says no, he has answered that prayer for you that you may understand what his heart is for you. Now you're going to have to be the one who have to work through that and discern through that and understand that. But God answers every prayer. I love what old J.I. Packer used to say. J.I. Packer is now with the Lord. He was a, a professor from Vancouver Seminary. Brilliant man. One of my greatest um, um, favorite writers. He wrote the classic book, Knowing God. He used to say this about prayer. He said, when we pray, God fixes it on the way up. He fixes it because the ultimate goal is not for me to get God into my way of thinking, but that I would submit to him and allow him to change my thinking and my heart and my mind. Father, thank you for not. Have you, ever, have you ever had a time where you wanted to thank God for unanswered prayer? Think about it. We all have that. And in God in his grace and his goodness to his children, he operates accordingly. So, when we pray, we can pray with great confidence that the prayer will be answered but I've got to spend that time with him hearing his heart on what he wants to accomplish in that. Here's the last thing. I should pray continually. I should never stop praying. Never stop praying. Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. Not only is it an imperative voice, but it is a present tense, which means this. Keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. For the one who keeps on asking will receive it. The one who keeps on seeking will find it. The one who keeps on knocking, the door's going to be open. Now, it might not be the same door that you're looking for. It might not be the same advice that you're looking for. It might even not be the same request. But if I give up too early, then what happens is I lose sight of what the Father has for me. I love the story of the little boy whose parents told him to go to bed. He went upstairs. He got in his room. A couple of minutes later, the little boy shouts, Daddy, I want a glass of water. And the daddy said, Son, you cannot have the glass of water. I told you to go to bed. 
couple minutes later, little boy shouts out again, Daddy, please, please, I need a glass of water. And the father said, Son, I told you, you cannot have any water. You go to bed. And then a third time, the little boy came to the edge of the stairs. He says, Daddy, Daddy, I need a glass of water. And the father said, Son, if you do that one more time, I'm coming up there and I'm going to spank you. Do you understand me? Yes, sir. A couple minutes later, a little boy came to the edge of the stairs. He said, Daddy, when you come up here to spank me, can you bring me a glass of water? <laughs> there are times when we are persistent and we must pray through situations. And we keep praying and we keep calling and we keep asking and we keep knocking and we keep seeking. There's something that God does in us as we trust him. And he shapes our hearts and our minds to please him. So where do I start? Where do I start? Let me give you three things. Number one, pray personally. Pray personally. Don't ask everybody else to pray for something for you. You pray. Now, there's nothing wrong with asking people to join you in praying. They're just interceding on your behalf. But you pray personally. Get involved in praying. I would say this to you. Find a place every morning, and if it's just two minutes, five minutes, ten minutes, develop that relationship. Some of us, has been so long since we've spoken to God, it almost seems like a stranger. But God is calling us to get close, to hear his heart, to draw near to him, and he promises he will draw near to us. Find that place and pray personally. Secondly, pray particularly. Martin Luther used to say that God never answers vague prayers. I think that's right. God, give me a good day, and I hope everything goes well. No, pray particularly. Lord, you know the struggle that I have on the job today with my boss. Give me patience. Give me insight in how to be like Jesus when I deal with him. Father, you know the struggle I have in this relationship. I pray that you would help me to be more like Christ in the midst of all of this. Give me the words of wisdom. Pray particularly about situations. We're praying for Afghanistan. We're praying for those unbelievers there. And listen, while God may not hear the prayers of unbelievers, he's not deaf to their cries and their needs. It's when God's people call out on behalf of people who need his protection that heaven moves and we see all kinds of works taking place. So we pray particularly. And lastly, we pray persistently. Keep praying. The discipline of prayer is not something that you're going to master in a week or a month or sadly, even a lifetime. But as we continue to grow in that relationship with him and that intimacy grows so much deeper, then we know the heart of the Father. And it is a joy and a delight to sit in his presence and to glean from his heart and his mind the things that he wants for us. As we move forward as a church, our passion is that we seek God in prayer. We do so in every one of our services. We want to do so in every one of our ministries. I have a vision of seeing 
a group of people in this church who are prayer warriors who would love to raise, be raised up to be in a prayer ministry that leads it. For instance, while we're having a service, there's a group of people who are praying through the course of the service that God would do a great transformative work in his people. Or that we pray specifically for specific needs in our community. Tonight as we gather, we're going to spend some time praying. We're going to be praying for those folks in Afghanistan. We're going to be praying for the people in Louisiana. We're going to be praying for the leadership of our country. And we're going to call out specifically and particularly for these needs. And as we gather as a group of people, then what happens is we want to seek and be in tuned with what God says of us. We seek God in prayer. And I want to encourage you to develop that life of prayer so that your heart, your mind, your life would be full. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Father, thank you for the simplicity of it. And I ask, Father, that you would help us to develop a deeper prayer life. That, Father, as we come to understand that the omnipotence that you grant to us is through prayer. And Father, may we tune our hearts to your heart and let you have the pleasure of making us the men and the women that you desire us to be. Father, there may be some here this morning who are listening to us talk about prayer, but they don't have a relationship with Jesus. I pray, Father, that you would press upon their hearts and their minds the need to surrender to Christ as Lord. And then through that, there is life and there's life eternal. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If this message blessed you and you now have a desire to follow Jesus, I encourage you to go to scottshill.org slash next steps so that we can follow up with you. Also, if you like the message, feel free to share it on social media with your friends and family. God bless.